Hello and welcome to Just Keep Writing. A podcast for writers. By writers. To keep you writing. I'm Marshall. I'm Nick. I'm Brent. And I'm Will. And joining joining us this week is Cassandra Westlake. Cassandra, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for jumping on. This is our last week of our Pride episodes for June 2023. Um, I've felt very impressed that we should bring you on as me, you, and Marshall will be graduating in August together with our MFAs as well. Yeah, so we've known we've known Cassandra for a while and we can't wait to finish up this program and I'm just super stoked to have you. So welcome. Uh, we've been talking about writing for what over 2 years now and it's just cool to have you. So thanks for coming. Oh, I'm I'm very excited to be here. I like talking writing. Oh yeah, well, we'll be doing it. Okay, so we know you as we've said, Cassandra, mm-hmm. but um just can you give our listeners just a brief just introduce yourself who you are and what you're about? Um, yeah, my name is Cassandra. I'm a writer out of Seattle, um, enjoying my time at the Western Colorado University graduate program with uh, Nick and Marshall. Um, I I mostly write uh, speculative YA stuff, but I kind of do a little bit of everything be, beyond that. Um, the Western Colorado program is very broad in its uh, genre choices and so that's that's what i write a little bit of everything but mostly ya speculative nice uh will i'm gonna turn over the typical deal to you um if you don't mind sir thank you so much it's gonna be fun thank you so much for that introduction marshall nick don't interrupt me and here we go cassandra i want you to describe your writing career in three words that can be completely unrelated. And if you get nervous about like thinking of career, especially since you're finishing up your MFA, um, think of it just as like your writing journey. Three words. What are they? Divided, fun, and creative. Amazing. Nice. So let's break down the first uh, word, divided. Okay, well, I'm actually pretty new to the writing thing. I'm not one of those people who, uh, you know, has been writing since I was three, although I did do a little bit of storytelling in my youth. I actually diverted off and did technology for most of my career um, programming. So right now I'm doing that in the video game and virtual reality industry. But uh, about 14 years ago, I decided I wanted to go back and do some storytelling and, uh, you know, dusted off my keyboard and just started putting words into my word processor. Amazing. And what about creative? What, why that word? She said uh, fun first. But. Yeah, I did say fun first. Okay. Oh, I'm just going by what Nick wrote, <laughs> but actually. Can we can do either one. My bad. My bad. <laughs> Nick wrote it down wrong my in the chat, bad, by the way. I'm not cutting this out. All right. So let's go, to, let's go to fun first, then creative. All right. So... Fun and creative are actually kind of related to me, cool. surprisingly enough. I wanted some balance between my technical work and sort of the uh, other side of my brain. Um, and so I wanted that to achieve more fun in life 
you know, the balance is really what I was seeking. And uh, so when I started producing stories, started getting involved in all these worlds that, that we get to create, I really grasped onto that as a source of, of enjoyment and uh, play. I love that. Um, Nick? Well, I wanted to break this up into kind of three different conversations all at once. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about the beginning of your journey. Um, I'm really big into self-motivation, understanding like the why behind we do things as people, as writers and things like that. So I kind of want to break that into with you um, on that one. So obviously you just talked about being in the technical field and things like that and recently picking up writing in the last few years. But I want to know, because I know your stories are very distinctive in voice and you cover very specific topics from very specific points of view. Um, I've read your stuff for two years now. I want the world to know this. Um, What is your why? Why do you write the stories that you write? And why is it so important to write and tell those stories? I mean, this is a little cliche at this point, but there are a lot of people out there who just aren't heard and don't see themselves in fiction. And I really want to like show, you know, like uh, queer kids, for instance, queer young people, they don't see themselves in fiction for themselves. They, they may see themselves in fiction written for the general population, but there aren't that many stories written by queer people, for queer people, um, about queer people. And I want to actually like do, I want to do that. I want to bring those stories to those young people who need to see themselves. Will? Will, Will's going to talk first, but go ahead. Thank you so much for that um, segue. Uh, Nick, Cassandra, let's talk about writing for queer kids I want to I want to ask you about your own journey as a queer person. Do you I mentioned this in one of the episodes that have not been released yet, but I write a lot of times for myself when I was a kid. And I'm wondering is it in your journey that when you when you talk about having like representation for queer kids. Are you writing stuff that you wanted to see yourself in when you were um, a kid? Um, Yeah, actually that I resonate with that pretty, pretty well. Um, I didn't have any, anything out there. I was, I was very closeted as a kid. There were, there was no representation um, beyond jokes or horror stories or what have you. Um, and so I didn't see people like me. And that kind of kept me closeted for a very long time. Um, and I could have really used that. That would have been, that would have uh, helped me have more of my life as opposed to a life that was in the closet. So when you're writing your, um, your stories, and you're thinking about, you know, when you were young, do you feel like it's been healing for you to actually write these queer stories for young adults? Or do you feel like it's been cathartic? And it can be both too, but I'm just wondering. Yeah. I think it's it's more cathartic at this point. I mean, I I 
altered my life journey about 20 years ago. So it's, it's, it's been a while. Um, so at this point it's, it's, it is a sense of catharsis that I get through writing these stories. And it's this hell's sense of, uh, you know, wanting to pass, pay it forward. Um, for the people who helped me, uh, 20 years ago, I want to help the kids who are, are dealing with stuff now. Oh, I like that. Uh, I now know one of your characters a little bit better. Uh, Marshall. No, I would just, I don't know. I, and I think this is one of the reasons why we do these episodes weekly in June and talk to queer authors. I think this is what you're saying is exactly why. I mean, I, I'm, everybody knows I teach high school. I deal with teenagers and young people every day. Um, and I try to support the queer students on campus as much as I possibly can make sure that they know that my room is safe, that I'm a safe person they can come to and that kind of thing. But as far as seeing themselves, I just, I want more of that. And so I just love that we like, you know, we have queer authors, you know, as hosts on this show and we do this all month and we just, I just love that we're having this conversation for my queer kids and everything else that's going on in my life with my students um, and that kind of thing. So I just, I'm, I'm super stoked to have this conversation. I don't have a question. I just wanted to say that before we got too deep into it, because I just appreciate what my, my kids and my students will be able to consume um, in the future. It, it makes me excited for them so that they don't have to deal with what um, you all have had to deal with as, as yeah. Go ahead, Will. Well, I also, I think, yeah, I want to talk about like, you know, then like as a, as a queer kid, Cassandra, were there stories that you gravitated towards, you know, that you were like, you tried to find yourself in it because I feel like, and Brent, I don't know, you can jump in on this too. Like, I felt like I uh, was Buffy a lot of times. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because, you know, I was blonde and super attractive and I could roundhouse people. Okay. So I like injected myself into those stories. <laughs> so, it. like, I'm just wondering, did you also. Even if you if you didn't see queer characters, did you notice things that were queer coded, or did you like envision yourself being those characters? Um, so I'm I'm a little bit older. Um, you may not realize that, but uh, I remember going back when I was a kid watching Saturday morning cartoons when those were a thing. Uh, oh, yeah. Watching uh, a show called Electro Woman and Dina Girl. And I wanted to be them. They had this cool car. They had these really cool adventures. Um, they're a superhero du duo from the 70s. And yes, I am that old. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I remember wanting to be them. And they were kind of an early version of uh, Xena and Gabrielle. I, I, but but futuristic. Um so they were, I think, they're the ones that stick out in my mind. It's sort of the the catalyst that got me like realizing like, I was different. Yeah, Brent, did you did you have yeah. anyone that you like identify was like, oh yeah, 
<laughs> I'm trying to think. I didn't have one I necessarily like identified with, but I had people that I wanted. Wanted. Yeah, yeah. So um there was names. I mean well for me it was always the the X-Men and how they had that found family, which is such a queer concept, right? And I always I always wanted that. I always wanted to like have that, you know, people that chose you and they they loved you because they chose you and you and and they all like, you know, had this bond and so I think um I mean, I, I think it's safe to say I feel like I have that now in my life. Um, but as a kid, like I wanted that because I didn't feel like, and not and not you know, no knock against my immediate family because I love them to death. But it was just there was something that they couldn't understand, and I felt like when I saw these characters, they all had something that their loved ones couldn't understand, but they found these group of people that could understand. And yeah, so I think that was something I was always drawn to as a kid. Yeah, and I, I think, and you know, I think as queer people, especially from the three of us going through different stages and like different, you know, timelines of growing up, it's really only been the last 10 years that queer kids are are having cartoons just with queer characters existing. And so... For us, I mean, Cassandra, I'm going to ask you this question. You know, what is it like now seeing the media kind of embrace that? And how is it affecting your art personally? Um, I love that the media is is starting to produce some queer characters, like in cartoons, like in The Owl House, for instance. Um, You know, there are a few few others, but... uh, and that that actually kind of motivates me. It gives me hope that there are people who are able to create and get their work their work out there in front of the eyes of of the people who really need to see themselves. So, uh, yeah, when I when I watch those, I I often get writing. I know um, for me, like watching Shira was like a really big. It was yeah. just really cool how Shira played out. You know, and I still, you know, there's tons of room where it needs to grow, right? Like, I want to see a cartoon with queer men of color be able to fall in love and have crushes because I don't think you see that yet. And we need to have that happen. And also, trans kids uh, having that adventure and the prom and everything else. Like, we so need that. Go ahead, Marshall. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no. I was just going to say, you know, like I said, um, raising, um, my very young children and, um, my youngest being trans, like seeing, watching these shows like Steven universe and She-Ra and like, I mean, I don't know. It was just, and there's so much more than that. And it's not just animated stuff. We've been watching, we've been consuming a lot just as a family, but I could see, I look over at my kids when we're watching certain things and I can tell, I can see when they see themselves and I just, I love it. And it's, it's, I mean, I mean, that's what creativity and all this stuff we're trying to do is for. Right. And, and I think, I think just think it's awesome. So um, I couldn't not say Steven universe and she were those Steven universe was awesome. But anyway, uh, Nick, go ahead. So I love all these questions and you know, this is really getting to the root of like the beginning stages for you. But I want to kind of advance the timeline a little bit, right? 
And uh, I want to know, before we jump into queuing into getting into Western Colorado to start your MFA, what are what are the things that inspire you right now to tell the stories you want to tell? Well, I mean, it's the it's the look in the kids' faces uh, when you see them consume this kind of media. The the joy that you hear, like on TikTok or Twitter, uh, that's inspiring. Um, but there's also the other side of it. Um, you know, the world right now is is getting more and more hostile. You know, for trans kids and you know even trans adults, um, and that kind of lights a fire in me under me that you know the, the, I, I have a little bit of the frustration and anger but i'm trying to channel that into something positive to give you know to to show that people can overcome some of these these sort of negative aspects of of our lives and that they can succeed and be themselves and so that's a big part of what pushes me as well now we talked a little bit about genre and things like that. When it comes to your current writings, we, we're sticking to the YA speculative version of that. But do you feel like there's there's like a specific genre right now that speaks more f- to the youth that you found that you want to write in more? I mean, there, there's being a trans kid in the world um, and seeing successes and stuff like that, I think there is some contemporary um, literature that can do that, um, giving a, a positive view. But we all like a good adventure story. We all like a good, you know, la- space lasers and dragons and uh, oh, yeah. and all that. <laughs> we all want to sp- fly the spaceships. Well, it goes into <laughs> what we kind of talked about off show here, Cassandra and you know, Brett and Marshall have talked about this. Sometimes I just want to ride a dragon. I just want to fly, <laughs> fly a spaceship. I feel like this is in the same vein, right? And maybe, Will, you can speak to this too, but you just want to write stories and read stories and just be on an adventure. Mm-hmm. Love that. The decision to get your MFA, what sparked that and why Western Colorado? Well, um, I had been writing for a while, improving my craft. I'd, I'd done a few books. Um, you know, one of which will, two of which will never see the light of day (laughs) and, uh, two of which I would like to put some energy back into them to up them now that I, you know, have learned a lot, but I really wanted to accelerate my career. I could, I could have just kept writing, kept reading. Um, but I wanted this sense of acceleration because I'm not getting any younger. And I have lots <laughs> of stories nice. I want to get out there. So I, I needed, you know, a kick in the butt. Yeah. And specifically, why Western? What drew you to Western Colorado? Okay. Well, I wanted to do a uh, a program that was not so literary, but instead genre, popular fiction, you know, maybe kid lit. And I wanted to do a remote program, a limited residency program. Because, you know, I have a day job and I have a mortgage to pay and all that kind of stuff. So there's like really only a handful of programs out there that that offer that. And so Western was the one that offered 
the right set of people, the right set of instructors for me. Um, it also helps that I had a friend who, uh, you know, kind of introduced me to Rhett Western, who's, who's also in the program. I talked to the director of the genre of fiction program, and that really made an impression. And at the time, that was the wonderful Fran Wilde, correct? That was the wonderful Fran R- Wilde. She, and we all love Fran. <laughs> yeah, she, she totally convinced me. Yeah. Fran has been on the show. She may have been on the show and talked to me and Marshall and... Lo and behold, here we are. Yeah. yeah. Now I need. I want to ask this question. Um, just it's a learning perspective for me as a cis white guy, right? Um, I want to know, like, did you go in and do research to make sure that this was going to be a safe school and program for queer people? Um, I think primarily, I got a sense from Fran that this would be a, a safe space, a space where I can like spread my wings. And even after I started, you know, I was still a little shy at first, a little, little careful until I got to know my cohort, who was like the best cohort ever. Right. Um, right. We have yeah. a good cohort. I'm not going to. Yeah. We really do. Um, and the instructors. And, and, you know, when I got comfortable, I, I knew this was the right place. But, you know, starting out, I was still a little nervous about that. There were some good things on the campus website or on the uh, school website about diversity and inclusion. I, I did like that, but it wasn't until I, I looked looked up the the instructors individually that I yeah. really got a sense. Okay, I love that. I I think that's a super important piece that someone like me I don't think about is is this a safe place? It's something that I'm working at to make sure like I don't want to attend or go to places that I know is going to be harmful for my friends. Um, kind of jumping into your experience at Western Colorado, right? You, you're there, you started, and we kind of get hit right away with not being able to write in our own genres, reading and writing and, and Westerns and romances, which none of us had done. Um, kind of walk me through like your experience there and what, let me, let me back up. What was your impression that first semester on how the rest of this year was going to go in the areas of your growth? Well, the the thing that struck me was not even the first semester, but like the first day or day or two. Um, we were told pencils down, stop working on your existing pro- projects, and uh, that I found freeing. Basically, you clear the slate open your mind to like any, any new stuff, um, new genres, new everything. Every, everything was open at that point. And it was hard to give up existing projects, but that, you know, pencils down thing was just amazing for me at least. Yeah. No, without a doubt. Um, and you've obviously written a ton since you've been in the program. In what area do you feel like you've grown the most that surprised you from this program? You know, I'm pretty proud of some of the romance work that I've done. You know, I have one story about a Weimar Republic uh, trans woman who falls in love with a uh, English writer. And, you know, that was a, it was a stretch for me, 
doing the romance part. And it really just kind of clicked when I did that. So now I'm trying to uh, up my game as far as including romance in all of my stories. I I like I like that. Go ahead. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw this out there because I mean you're right, um, Cassandra. Our our cohort rocks, um, and everybody's really good at their craft. Um, I found, I mean, I don't want to. I'm not gonna say I'm playing favorites here, but I your stuff was one of my favorites to read the entire two years. It was just one of those things where I'm like. Oh, I got to read Cassandra stuff. Oh, I'm ready. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. But the the, the point is, is like, um, I cannot wait to see. I was honestly, and the reason I started saying all of this was I was a little bummed that we weren't paired up last summer. Mm-hmm. That I didn't get to read your outline and your thesis stuff. Um, but that's okay. I'll read it when it's published. <laughs> Look, uh I'll be the one to say that I got to read Cassandra stuff and I immediately, as soon as you were done with it, I was like, well, we'll read this. You, this is up Will's alley. <laughs> uh, so Will does have it in fact. Um, and we'll, we'll get to actually talk about that product here at the end is why well. I do want to cover that and give you a chance to talk about your thesis process. Um, I, I really like the romance section there. Um, I felt like, I understand romance a lot more than just your typical, oh, it's a love story um, thing on that one. Now, I want to like kind of flip the script and ask Wilma Brent a question real quick on this one. Um, oh, it's time. End of Pride Month. Here we go. <laughs> woo! So I want to know a little bit more about your guys' experience in reading queer romances and where we're lacking as a community with that. And where we can be better, Cassandra. This question is for you um, as well. Brent, you go first. Okay. Actually, um, I want Will to go first on this one, please. Oh, all right. Backing off. Well, um, where what is the question? Because all I keep thinking about is that you know I got to read Brent's novella, which is not out yet as of this recording. I've read it about five times, <laughs> and it's hot. I saw this coming. And sexy, and um, I just can't. I can't. And I'm talk actually really glad we're talking about this. Because we were supposed, this was supposed to be part of our little rotation this month as well. And not, nothing against Brent, but I'm glad you're talking about it now, Will, and yeah. I'm interrupting you. I mean, Please I've read continue. it five times. Give him all the praise. I've read it five times. Jesus, five times? Yep. Mm-hmm. And I love it. And do you want me, do you, Would you like, do you want me to repeat the question? Oh, no, no. no. <laughs> I'm just saying how much I loved Brent's romance and the tension <laughs> in um, his book. And that you guys haven't read it yet. I don't know what to tell you. But... I think there's a couple things that we're missing. Um, I think Brent said this in the past, and I think um, we don't have enough nuance in queer romance. And that's a lot of times, I think, because we're having people who aren't queer writing them and who are getting the book deals. And I think we need to... Thank you. I think we need to have an array of types of romances we see i think it's super important on a whole to have young adult show positive queer romance however i think it would be interesting if we had a series you know where we do see queer relationships that are toxic because i think as a queer kid we tend to accept toxic relationships easier than actually love relationships. I think especially for like um, 
all of our age groups. I think a lot of times because we had no, uh, all of our elders passed away. You know, there was a huge generation that had passed away. So we didn't have this model of that you can have functional, loving relationships. So I think showing those toxic relationships is important as long as it's deeply balanced with a lot of positivity, because there's a lot of negativity from um, the world when it comes to that. I think we need to see uh, definitely more trans stories. But I also think we specifically need more trans stories from black trans authors because, and I say that because when you look at the demographics of the people that are being um, murdered, there is a complete split and like it is black trans women are being murdered at such more of a higher rate than any other group, you know, and that's for multiple reasons. And I think we need to see, romance and um, stories from black trans writers. You know, I think a lot of times you see publishers uh, or you see certain people, editors, not going to name any names, uh, who only pick uh, this is the one queer writer or this is the one trans writer. And, you know, just like every other human being, my experience as being um, queer is radically different than Brent's you know, than Cassandra's. And there are, there are things that overlay, but we all have an, um, a unique perspective and we need more of it. I could write um, about queer Latin uh, boys every single day and for every single book if I came out with 50 books and it would never, ever be enough. Yeah, well, thank you for answering that. That speaks a lot of volumes. And I, I love what you, you mentioned as well. The people that are publishing right now are not queer and they're very toxic relationships. I'd love to see a change in that as well. Um, I'm going to go to Cassandra on this one and then you, Brent. What, what is the question? <laughs> so the question after Will's long rant. <coughs> um, <laughs> I love your rant, by the way, Will. I just want okay, to know I read Brent's book and it's really hot and sexy and you guys haven't read it yet. <laughs> <laughs> so the question is, is where can we do better as a writing community when it comes to queer romance? What are we missing and what are we doing well? Well, there's not very much trans romance out there. Like so very little, um, especially adult trans romance. Um, there's a lot of trans erotica that a lot of it is very negative and toxic to, you know, to trans people and it's very objective, objectifying, but there's not a lot of trans romance that really feature deep relationships that aren't just about sex, um, that are, that are full on relationships between people. So I'd love to see more of that. I'll second the, uh, complete lack of black trans women in publishing. Um, there, honestly, I can't think of very many at all. Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, there are, there are some non-binary, um, trans writers out there, a fair number. Um, but, uh, you know, especially tra trans women, there just are not that many. 
um, black trans women. Go ahead. Well, real quick before Brent goes, I also have to say that to Cassandra's point, there is a lot of wonderful, I don't want to say a lot. There is way more wonderful trans stories for young adults than there are for adults, which I wonder if it's because we have a generation of uh, children that are just, you know, kids are open, you know, and I hope what it does, especially for the young adults who are reading like, you know, Cemetery Boys, um, that one pops into my mind right away. Uh, I want, I think it's Cafe Con Leche that um, actually has a trans um, character, which is a YA romance. I might be wrong. There's Will, real quick. Yeah. Who wrote Cemetery Boys? Eden Thomas. Thank you. Yeah. Um, that, you know, like, hopefully we see more of, more trans stories coming out in the adult spectrum. And, I, and yeah, and I'll, I'll throw something out there and poor Brent. Um, I'll just really, <laughs> just real quick, as far as um, the stories for the youth, I think that's, that's really important. And I had a point to say, what did you say in the beginning of that? Will? I wonder if it's because, you know, this generation is just so open. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. So I, I, I honestly, I think that this generation thankfully is more open. Like my my youngest, um, he goes to Montessori school, um, and it's a and which is great. Um, and there's a lot, there's a whole spectrum of kids, some non-binary kids, um, trans kids, and stuff. But like, even at the high school that I work at, in a small, very conservative, um, old, good old boys town, um, but I've noticed over the years, and I've been teaching in this district for over fifteen years that compared to when we went to school in the nineties, that's for sure. Um, it's the kids are more open and it's, and, and seeing these stories is only going to help. And I love the fact that I have, I have, I'm just going to share a quick story. My, um, Zoe brought over a couple of friends for his birthday over the weekend. And, um, it was like the cutest little group of like sixth and seventh grade, kids and they're all different and they're like literally dancing in the garage to just dance on the switch. Like nobody has ever questioned anything about anybody and they're open and they're loving. And I love seeing that um, considering how horrible growing up in the nineties was in a similar town. Um, and, and knowing that the queer kids in my class that came out much later, um, what they were, had to been going through. So anyway, that's my rant. Brent? Um, Brent, do you, need, do you need me to repeat the question? <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 have, I have solid memory when it comes to things like this. Uh, so, Will has read my book. <laughs> but, um, but, Wait, I just want to add, uh, I've read it five times. I'm going to probably read it again. How many times? Was it, five. Was it, was it five? Okay, just making sure. Yep, I'm going to read it again. And I, and I think one of the things that I... To, to kind of like answer your question, one of the things I kind of thought about when writing it was like, one of the things that oft, often has kind of bothered me, and I think I've talked about it before, is just how much of um, the stories of queer men are being written by cis women, particularly cis white women, and how I have always, it's always kind of bothered me on some level, and because they, cause they miss nuances, they miss... Um, they also fundam fundamentally don't understand certain things. I think like 
they I've never seen one where and this is a common thing amongst gay men where you can have a sexual relationship with somebody and decide it doesn't work and you end up that person ends up becoming your best friend. And it's totally platonic from that point forward. And you love each other deeply with and you may have had sex, I don't know, two, three times or whatever in the past. And it's not it's not a huge monumental issue, whereas I don't think cis heterosexual people can do that <laughs> or, or at least not to the degree that we can. And, you know, so nuances like that are that you can um, are that a lot of us just hook up like that's just and it's not. And there's no need to assign a moral judgment to it or to make it, you know, or make it have some statement on, oh, this poor soul that, you know, can't find love. And so they're screwing around. It's, it's not always like that for us. So I think um, I wanted to try to talk, talk about those things. And I didn't talk about all of that in the book. I think more than anything, what I talked about in the book and Will having read it can probably jump jump in and correct me as our our state speak on it is uh, i think one of the things i wanted to talk about is that um our our love isn't like it can be complicated it can be messy it could be and sometimes we have to fight for it a little harder than i think cishead people do because and i always think of this poem uh, and, and i'm gonna mess up the poem it's not quite right but it's basically saying like Black boy that loves another black boy, be patient with each other because they don't teach love like this, you know. Mm. And um, and so I think I, I I think I was trying to embody that a little bit in the novella, with of course you know science fiction, fantasy, all that kind of stuff in the mix. But yeah. So since we're already talking about it, well, I'll bring you in here on this one as well, Brent. Okay. What is your novella? Will give us a pitch after he introduces it. Well, I don't want the episode to become about me, though. <laughs> like, it's not- no, it, it, right. But unnecessary okay, chaos okay. is coming out here soon, and you can pre-order from Neon Hemlock. Find right, the link in but the show Sandra notes. Sandra will be getting her spotlight, so I'm going to make this quick. All right, so the novella is called "The Necessary Chaos." Essentially, if I had to pitch it really fast, it is um is I would say it's like a really gay, really sexy Mister and Mrs. Smith, but with instead of like an action movie it is very much like a a secondary world fantasy so i would say maybe it's a little bit i'm trying to think of a good one this isn't quite uh, i guess a hundred percent match but i think it's a little bit jade city it's a little bit there's a little bit uh it's got a little bit of max gladstone dna in it maybe in some places but not <laughs> as like cerebral because i'm not anywhere near smart as that man but um <laughs> yeah if i had to like throw it out there real quick i think that's like a quick blah pitch we love we love max here on the show yes go ahead will um i also want to just uh go on brent's thing about when you don't have queer people writing stories like i think we've all of us who are queer have met straight cishead women who think they're real edgy when they start to talk about like sex or their sexual adventures and like i know I mean, Brent definitely had this just conversation and it's just kind of like, okay, like, and you know, you're just laughing. You're like, okay. And I just want to be like, girl, like I live in New York city and I'm a gay single male. Like, okay. Like we give blowjobs as like hellos. I don't know what to tell you. Handshake. Yeah. Like, handshake. It's not even like a, yeah. it's not even like a, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, like see a good dick. Right. You just suck like it. Like, Sandra was asking about cussing earlier. Come on now. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
it, it is. I think, and I think there's a way to, and I think for a lot of, uh, I think cishet audiences, they don't understand how we can be so overtly sexual and still have this deep love and respect for each other because a lot of them still associate. I think sex with shame in, in a lot of ways for, and, and I saw this thing the other day, which I really, really loved. And it was like, one of the blessings of being queer is that we get to completely recreate ourselves. Like we, 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 we get to complete, we, we can, we get to deconstruct the ego, the things that we've been told, the things that we've been said we should believe about ourselves and each other. And we get to really, we we have to, we really have to examine that and we get to rebuild ourselves up again. And I think that kind of freedom is something that I think a lot of cishet authors fundamentally don't understand and can't understand because they haven't had to kind of go through that ego death. I think that a lot of queer people have to go through. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Cassandra, I, I wonder, like, I think we grew up with like a lot of binaries, right? as uh queer kids so don't you feel i mean tell me your experience because everyone's different but i always felt like like to brent's point in a lot of ways we're a lot healthier um emotionally because we had to do the we had no choice but to do the work on ourselves to create new relationship goals and the way we move through the world. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, actually, I I agree strongly with that. Um, For me, yeah, I was living in the closet. I was trying to fit in. I was trying to go through the motions for far too long, just because, you know, I, this was back in the 80s and 90s, you know, 70s, 80s and 90s there weren't options for trans women out there. There were were no examples or anything like that. So I did what I could, but uh, yeah, when I, when I had my kind of break where I decided I need to look at myself and see who I really am and be who I really am. um, It kind of struck me. I, I, it was kind of an existential crisis. You know, I could, I could spend the rest of my life, trying to fulfill fulfill the role that everybody else thought I should fulfill, or I could live my life. Um, And that's a frightening proposition that you would reach the end of your life with never, without ever having lived your life. That's a terrifying proposition. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, are you going to say something? Go ahead. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, I feel like the sad thing is, and and I feel like so many people that, non-queer people i think they 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 live like that they live their lives never actually living for them and i think and I, i've talked about this before my my dad's family's trash but that there's <laughs> there, there's a degree like but now i'm i'm almost there's a degree of like pity that i have for them because yeah. i'm like you know what like the reason i bother you so much is because you think someone like me should have a miserable life and you see me not having that. And it is driving you insane that I am being a free person and you never have been. And in your world and in what you've been told and in the constructs you've been given, that's not how it's supposed to be. And, you know, and, and so I have, so now I like almost have pity for them. It's, um, yeah. I'm going to just piggyback off that real quick. Cause I feel like, um, all of us are gonna, the three of us, 
will find this out as we put work out. My nephew, who's totally straight, like such a like a boy, right? Like such a man now. He's a man. He's like 28. It's scary. Um, <laughs> I was a young uncle, everyone, really young, like seven. Um, true story. I have too many sisters. But anyway, he says to me this one day, out of the blue, we're not talking about anything current. We're just like joking around and laughing. I think we were talking about One Piece, honestly. Um, and he says, you know, Uncle Will... You make me feel more free. And I looked at him and I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you make me feel like anything I can do is possible because everything that you've done was impossible and you still did it anyway. Yeah. And I I think that's our role as not only queer people, but queer creators. Because I think Cassandra even talked about it, like writing these stories and putting them out there for queer kids to see because, you know, they may not even know that that thing that they're longing for is a possibility or that it, that it can even exist, you know? Cause I think for, I think for a lot of us, for a lot of us growing up, we, we thought we were maybe the only one or two that were dealing with what we were dealing with. Mm-hmm. And when in fact there was a whole wide world of us out there. So I think that's our, that's the beauty of what we're doing, but also like the big responsibility of what we're doing is that because I, I and will you you did this to me, actually, with the um, novella when you told me that you had black queer friends who were like, I didn't know this thing existed. Mm-hmm. I felt I, don't know, I felt privileged, but I also felt this like, whoa, like that was not that wasn't a role I was expecting to take on. But yeah, it's one I. I, I want to be responsible with i guess yeah yeah i love it i i asked the question about romance and this is where we are 20 minutes later this is great i don't marshall why do we even have an outline um i know why we have an outline sir i know why we have an outline okay (laughs) Um, so i go go ahead no, 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 because no, I'm gonna because otherwise I'll just keep continuing down this road. Um, we need to start winding down because otherwise, <laughs> I know, I know, Father Tom, we got you. We got 10 minutes left, right? Um, so Cassandra didn't get to talk a lot about Western and your MFA experience, but some really good things happened because of it, um, such as your thesis project, which is the novel that you are currently querying. I wanted to talk a little bit about that project to give you a chance and opportunity to go ahead and pitch it here because you never know who's listening to the show. Hint, hint, wink, <laughs> wink. You know, there are people listening that might be interested in it. So give us the pitch. All right. Well, kind of calls back to what we were just talking about because it is definitely a queer story. Um, it's a near future young adult sci-fi story um, takes place in a world where, well, if you're queer or neurodivergent or rebellious, you're, you have something implanted in your head that kind of erases all that. And it effectively erases your soul so that you can be quote unquote normal and fit into that society. Um, Kind of a high tech conversion therapy kind of a thing. So the story follows a 17-year-old trans girl who's closeted because of this. She's she's terrified of having this happen to her. Um, and she's forced to take great risks to escape this, this world into a kind of a Hong Kong-like 
free trade zone where she hooks up with a bunch of street kids and has all kinds of adventures, uh, street kid adventures, um, until the, you know, puritanical government and society that was oppressing her kind of catches up. And then she has to, you know, fight for her survival. But uh, yeah, it's kind of cyberpunk goodness. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I Look, I've had the privilege to read the outline, read a lot of the project, read some of the finished work. I know it's in Will's hands, so I know we'll, we'll, we'll rant and rave about it once he gets through it, um, which will be <laughs> good. Now, when it comes to what you're currently working on, um, I know you're putting out there, you're querying it. Um, what, like, give me the big dreams about this. What are your hopes for it? What do you want to accomplish with this novel and who is your target audience? All right. I want to get this novel in front of the, uh, you know, the, the queer young people who need to see stories like this, who need to see themselves overcome worlds like this. Uh, so anything I can do to do that, um, you know, is, is good. So I would dream of having, you know, finding an agent who really gets the story and gets what I'm trying to say here and finding a publisher who could uh, help me get it into those kids' hands. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be like necessarily, well, it could be made into a movie. There's, there's sort of, sort of an aside thing going on. Cause I am going into uh, a year of screenwriting. So nice. it might be, uh, Made into a script. I mean, I but uh, I definitely can see this as a movie, 100%. I think, yeah. you know, like Charlie Jane Anders got her um, her young adult trilogy optioned from um, Michael B. Jordan. You know, like That's awesome. oh, wow. I can I can see um, I can see your story in a theater in in TV. Yeah. Like I can definitely see it. I was it thinking, has yeah, quality. short. 10 episode TV, TV show or something would be yeah. sick too. I, I don't know. I, when you publish this, um, Cassandra, I, I will, I will put it on my list of things I want to teach my students, like just books yeah. that books that my, my kids should read. Cause I just think what we've been talking about tonight and, and this project in particular, since you know, I've been following since the beginning, obviously, but I, I think it's, I think it's super important that, 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 that these stories are told. So I we, we I mean I wish you the best of luck, but I assume everybody else does as well. Yeah, of course, um, Marshall. We yeah, could you imagine we would be like? <laughs> I don't want to speak for you guys. <laughs> like, um, yeah, no, no, no other, no other queer yeah. writers. There's only one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay, the only one. Um, <laughs> so we do need to start um, winding this down, um, but we have a couple questions we always ask towards the end. Um, but before we get to those, I just have one more. What is your, besides, I mean, I know you're querying the novel. Um, I know I've been thinking about this a lot lately and I know Nick has been as well. Um, I guess your journey's a little different than ours though, because you're doing one more year in screenwriting, but what are your plans for post grad school? whether it be this program or screenwriting when you're done with that one? Well, I mean, as of this summer, I, I'm going to continue to query this book and try to get it out there. Um, you know, it's kind of frightening that, uh, you know, either 
I have some difficulty doing that or even scarier. I have success because then I have grad school another year of it along mm-hmm. with edits from a publisher, edits from an agent and all that. So there'll be Secretly a lot of coffee involved. <laughs> yeah. There'll be a lot of coffee involved, but I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm up to that challenge. Um, oh, you got this. And then after my next year in screenwriting, um, I, I would like to have a nice mix of being able to churn out maybe a sequel or two to this, this project, the, my thesis project, but also maybe some indie screenplays. I think that yeah. would be a lot of fun as well. And yeah, I'm also looking at sort of a slight daytime job shift into okay. narrative design for video games because oh. I can kind of fold what I've learned with the, the techno- technical skills I have to kind of bring stories to that platform as well. Ah, oh, it's awesome. That's always amazing. been a dream of mine to write. I'm a, I'm a big gamer. I've always wanted to write for games. I just tell me what you're working on when you get there. Cause yeah. I can't, I can't wait. Um, all right. So second to last question. Um, if you want people to find you on the internet or social medias, or if you have a website coming, that kind of thing, I can put in the show notes or I can skip this part altogether. But if you want people to find you on the internet, um, where can they find you? All right. Well, I'm, Still kind of setting up my website, but it'll be CassandraWestlake.com. Nice. It's kind of a template version there right now, but uh, over the next few weeks, I, I got some good stuff coming. Sweet. And hope, hopefully a, a link to this program. Awesome. Uh, and Brent, I'm going gonna, gonna to throw it to you. You get the yes, last okay. question, buddy. I get the last question of the Pride Month episodes. This is cool. Um, so we always ask this. Uh, what keeps you writing? What keeps me writing? Coffee. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's truth to that. I, I really enjoy writing in coffee shops. I know it's cliche, the uh, author or screenwriter sitting in the coffee shop uh, tapping away. But uh, what keeps me writing? I I got stories in my head and I need to get them out. And I know, like everybody probably says that, but I got stories that uh, there are people out there that I want them to to hear those stories because I think they will help people. You know, I love that answer because it's you really do think about your audience. And I know a lot of times we're told like not to, but it's hard when you're marginalized not to think of that in a non-egotistical way. Well, yeah. And I think the people who can say don't think about it are able to say that from a very privileged place. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Great. Well, I don't know. We, we we can't thank you enough. And we'll we'll have you back, as, I mean, whenever we can. And I'm, I can't wait to see you in shoot. Six weeks, baby. Yeah, six weeks or so to finish up this program or at least our portion, you're going to continue, but um, thank you, Cassandra for joining us. And um, we'll have to do this again soon. And this has been just keep writing a podcast for writers by writers to keep you writing. You can find us at justkeepwriting.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Feel free to reach out to any of us on our social medias and please jump in our just keep writing discord channel. Links to all of that is in the show notes. Lastly, please support our show by going to patreon.com slash just keep writing. 
We offer daily writing prompts, early access to podcast episodes, and much more. Thanks for listening, and just keep writing.